I'm going to read us the scripture of the day, and today comes from Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 23. So join me in this. It's called the parable of the sower. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he stood, he told them many things in parable saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever hears this, whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to join him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has, whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have... Even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be forever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has been calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because you see, and your ears because you hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed fallen on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on, ground so on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. So as many of you know, if you are friends with me on Facebook, if you follow me on Instagram, we got a puppy last week. <laughs> um, <laughs> she's a sheepadoodle. We picked her up last Saturday. Her name is Addie, and she is just the cutest little thing I've ever seen. Also, she's a puppy, so there's a lot of training happening right now. Crate training, sleep training, potty training. And we haven't even started to get her to do, like, sit, stay, roll over, none of that. The training is hard. She did not, like, pick up on it right away. We are still cleaning up messes in our house, but we keep at it, right? We find whatever way we, we can that will help her understand what we want her to do. We give her treats, we give her pets, we give her good girls. Anything we can to help her learn how to be a healthy, well-adjusted puppy that doesn't pee in the house. Okay, so, Addie, very cute, still peeing on the floor. Imagine if a week in, we were just like, well, she's not getting it. I guess we should just give up. We've been trying to teach her to go outside to go to the bathroom, but she's still having accidents. I mean, wh what can we do? We tried. So I guess that's it. Sorry, Addie. 
You'll never be house trained. That would be ridiculous, right? I would be, we would be terrible pet owners if we did that. It is our job to keep working with her to help her get it. Listen, I have to be honest. I feel like sometimes when we talk about this parable in Matthew, the parable of the sower, I feel like we're kind of tempted to approach it the same way, right? We share the gospel. People either listen or they don't, and that's it. Some people just aren't going to get it. Guess they're doomed to an eternity without God, but what are we going to do? They're just bad soil. Listen, as we said last week, there is a reality. Some people do not want God in his kingdom. We cannot make people acknowledge God. Jesus wants his followers to be aware of that reality. But as we walk through this familiar parable today, I want to look at it a little bit differently. We're going to talk about what Jesus was saying to the crowds with this parable, what he was saying to the disciples when he interpreted it for them, and what it means for us today as 21st century followers of Jesus. As we're working our way through the book of Matthew, as we've been doing since September, we're arriving here in chapter 13 at the third of five major sections of teaching in the book of Matthew. So in Matthew, there are five times where the action stops and Jesus starts to talk. The first was in Matthew 5 through 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. The second was in chapter 10 as Jesus was sending his disciples out to preach and heal. And the third is this section here, chapter 13 where Jesus tells eight different parables about the kingdom of God. So Jesus spoke often in parables. Sometimes a parable he used as a way to challenge somebody without directly putting them on the spot. Sometimes a parable was a way of helping people understand what God is like based on things that made sense to them. So like the father who longed for his lost son in Luke 19. That was something people could relate to. In Matthew 13, the disciples noticed that sometimes it seemed like Jesus told a parable to cause people to think about what he was saying, to make them dig a little deeper if they wanted to understand. So these parables come on the heels, right, of opposition to Jesus' message. And in some ways, these parables are meant to explain why there's opposition and also to encourage the disciples that the kingdom of God will prevail in the end. That's what's happening in all these parables in chapter 13. The parable of the sower here seems to address why people can't or won't accept the message of God's kingdom and follow him. So Jesus tells this parable to the crowd. There were places along the Sea of Galilee where the acoustics were just right to speak from a boat and the wind would carry the person's voice up the surrounding hills so that they could speak from a boat to lots of people at once. And Jesus took advantage of this acoustical marvel several times and preached to crowds from a boat like he's doing here. So we imagine Jesus and probably his disciples in the boat. We imagine the crowds standing on the shore listening. And Jesus begins to tell all these parables about the kingdom of heaven. He starts by talking about a farmer. This made sense to the people who were listening, right? Many of them were farmers too. Jesus chose to speak about God's kingdom in a way that made sense to them. He says, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. 
Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. This picture of farming here that we have is kind of how farming worked before we had things like combines that plant seeds in nice even rows without much effort. Farmers would wander their fields scattering seed. And in this parable, the first set of seeds falls along the path where it's easily visible to the birds flying overhead looking for dinner. Those seeds have no chance, right? They're eaten up right away. The next set of seeds falls into soil that's very rocky. There's some soil, right? So it grows quickly at first, but when it starts to get hot, there isn't enough nutritious soil to sustain its growth. These seeds die too. The third set of seeds fell among what was presumably good soil, but was already home to weeds and thorns. The weeds were already well-established, and so they took all the nutrients. They grew bigger than the little seeds, crowding the seeds out from being able to grow to maturity. And then finally, the fourth group of seeds falls along the good soil where they could grow. These seeds were able to grow up and become a big crop, multiplying, right, the text says, many times over. This fourth group of seeds is what made harvest plentiful for the sower. And without explaining anything else about the parable, Jesus simply closed out the parable with a challenge. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is Jesus' way of saying, if you want to understand, you're going to have to take some time and think about what this might mean. Now, traditionally, when we consider what this parable means, Christians have tended to interpret this as Jesus challenging the crowd to be good soil, to be people who hear God's word, put it into practice, as he commonly challenges people to do. All over the book of Matthew, Jesus uses the idea of producing fruit to mean not just knowing about God and his kingdom, but actually living in a way that is aligned with God's kingdom. Living in a way that demonstrates that God is first in your life. Pursuing peace, sharing what you have with the poor, treating others with kindness, forgiving. This is bearing fruit. This is being good soil. The thing about this parable is that we traditionally read the interpretation of the parable as though it was shared with the crowd, challenging them to be good soil. But if we keep reading, we notice something. The interpretation wasn't shared with the crowd. It was only shared with the disciples. So in verse 10, the disciples came to Jesus and asked him, why do you speak to the people in parables like this? What they were really saying was, Jesus, why do you keep telling these weird stories that nobody understands? <laughs> why are you doing that? How, how is anybody supposed to understand this? And then Jesus replies with maybe an equally confusing bunch of sentences about secrets and seeing and not seeing and understanding and not understanding. And then he starts quoting Isaiah. What is that all about? Well, what Jesus is saying here in these middle verses is that he's going to use every way he can to help people understand. The quote from Isaiah is a lament. Jesus is lamenting that some people can't understand. Some people won't understand. Jesus longs to heal people. He longs to help them see how good life is in God's kingdom, but they just can't see it. And that's when Jesus provides the interpretation of this parable to his disciples. Jesus says the seed along the path, it represents people who hear God's word. They hear it, but before they have a chance to really comprehend it, to really get what it means, the evil one comes and gets in the way. This is to remind the disciples of the reality of the spiritual realm. 
There is someone working hard to keep people from experiencing life in God's kingdom. And sometimes he succeeds. The seed that falls on rocky soil, Jesus says, represents people who hear God's word and they love the sound of it, but they lack depth in their faith. These people are immediately drawn to the beauty of God's love and his healing, but they never mature beyond what they can get out of it. They like the grace and mercy, but they never learn submission to the king. So when hard things happen, when God asks something difficult of them, their faith withers away. The seed that's choked by thorns, Jesus says, represents people who hear God's word. They receive it. They start down the path of life in God's kingdom, but they get distracted from God's kingdom. They start out on a journey with God. They want to follow him, but life gets in the way. The things that this world says are important become their focus. And so instead of pursuing God and his kingdom, they anxiously pursue wealth and security and success instead of God's kingdom. And so their faith stalls. And then the seed that falls on good soil, Jesus says, represents people who continue on in God's word. They keep seeking God's kingdom. They keep living according to God's word. The good soil is those who persevere, who stay at it, who cultivate a relationship with God, who learn to hear his voice, who long to do whatever it is God asks of them, even if it's hard, who care about the things God cares about. These people, Jesus says, will not only grow themselves, but they will end up helping a lot of other people find God in his kingdom. Now, why did Jesus explain this to his disciples? This is where I find our typically our suggestion as well, because they need to be ready that not everyone will accept God's word and follow him. And I do think that's true. I do think that's a part of why Jesus tells this parable. But the beautiful thing about parables is they can be interpreted in a couple of different ways, many different ways. So yes, Jesus is sending his disciples out. This parable does follow a section about opposition to Jesus and the kingdom he's proclaiming. So yes, I do think Jesus wants them to remember that life in God's kingdom is an invitation that people can choose to receive or reject. But is that all? Is Jesus just saying, well, some people will accept, some people won't. Oh, well, they're just bad soil. What can you do? Harbor, I don't think so. I don't think so. When I read this parable, when I read it in the context of Jesus' lament from the book of Isaiah, when I read it in the context of Jesus longing to heal people, when I read it in the context of Jesus' entire ministry where he weeps over the lost, where he keeps talking with the Pharisees, where he keeps explaining to his disciples, Jesus cannot be telling this parable only to say that some people just won't accept God's kingdom, so we should move on. And the vital clue for me that Jesus doesn't call is that Jesus doesn't call this the parable of the different kinds of soils. He doesn't call it the parable of the seeds. In verse 18, Jesus calls this parable the parable of the sower. This parable is aimed at people actively involved in sharing the good news of God's kingdom. It is intended to help us understand the obstacles that get in the way of people finding their way into God's kingdom. 
Jesus wants his disciples to understand that like the birds looking for a meal, Satan is real and he is actively trying to make it hard for people to see the good news that God has come near. Jesus wants them to understand that like the seed on the rocky soil, some people struggle because they never learned how to grow roots in their faith. They don't have the spiritual resources to stay faithful. Jesus wants his disciples to understand that like the seed that fell in the weeds, some people fall away from faith because this world is really good at convincing us that success and security and money and opportunity are the most important things in life. Jesus wants his disciples to understand that sometimes people who look like they have it all are really prisoners of their money or success or position. And Jesus wants his disciples to understand that it's only the people who somehow persevere in their faith that will be able to help more and more people find their way into God's kingdom. Jesus' mission was not just to see obstacles, just to see the barriers between people and God. Jesus' mission was all about bringing those obstacles down, setting people free. That's why he taught people who didn't understand, why he healed people who were sick, why he freed people from what held them captive. That's what he said he came to do. Preach good news to the poor, release prisoners, free captives. So is there any world in which Jesus would tell his disciples why it was hard for some people to hear the good news of his kingdom, but not expect them to do anything about it? No, no, Jesus is pointing out these obstacles to the kingdom so they can get to work. People are being held back from experiencing the full life of God's kingdom by Satan. Three chapters earlier, Jesus has given his disciples power over Satan to cast out Satan and his demons. People are lacking depth in their faith, but the disciples have been called to teach people so they can grow. People are so burdened by the weight of this world that they don't know how to survive another day. Jesus' disciples were sent to bring healing. People are being held captive by their wealth, by the things that the kingdom of this world says are most important. But Jesus' disciples were sent to tell them there is another kingdom where freedom is found in giving yourself away. I don't think Jesus is just saying, oh, well, the soil is bad. I think Jesus is telling his disciples to get out the weed eater, put up some nets to keep the birds away and till up the ground so it's not so rocky. So for us, as we go out, as we sow the seeds of the good news of God and his kingdom, as we go along telling people how good God is, how God has changed our lives, how he has rescued us, how he loves the poor and the outcasts and the marginalized, how he brings justice As we go out proclaiming this beautiful kingdom, yes, of course, we need to keep being good soil. Yes, of course, we need to keep taking care to grow deeper in our faith. Keep asking God to help us listen more, obey more, look more like him, of course. And as we go along, Jesus is inviting us to be good sowers of soil. I think that's part of what Matthew's getting at here. I think His big idea here might be that in telling his followers the parable of the sower, Jesus is pointing out obstacles to the kingdom of heaven so we can help remove them. He's pointing out obstacles to the kingdom of heaven so we 
His followers can be a part of removing them. We, like the disciples, are to look at where people are on their journey of faith and see how we can help them take their next step. We, like the disciples, can look for the obstacles in people's way and see if we can help remove them. See if we can help bring hope, support, encouragement, challenge to those who are suffering under the attacks of Satan. We, too, have the same power. We have the same spirit. We can pray for their release and their healing. For those who are so burdened with the cares of this world, we too can help meet their needs with love. For those who don't know how to grow deeper in their faith, we can teach them how to mature in their faith so that they grow deep roots that can withstand difficult seasons. There's a tool that I have found really helpful in understanding kind of how to help people grow in their faith. It's a tool called the Discipleship Wheel. Um, This discipleship wheel was created by an organization called Real Life Discipleship, just as a way of helping followers of Jesus have some kind of outline of how to help other people grow in their faith. If you have your sermon outline this morning, there's lots of words on here. (laughs) It's on the back of your sermon outline, so you can see it a little more up close. So this discipleship wheel is an example, okay, of a way we can think about phases of spiritual growth and how to help people take steps in their faith. I like this model because for each phase of spiritual growth, which is the dark gray ring kind of towards the center, they also provide some characteristics, that tiny writing you can't read that's in the middle, that's characteristics of each stage of growth. And then on the outside, it tells what they might need from another follower of Jesus to take their next step. I love that. So this tool, if we start at kind of at the top between 12 and 1 o'clock, you can see that the first stage, they call the pre-Christian life stage dead. Listen, that's not meant to be derogatory. It's just borrowing language from the New Testament about how without Jesus, we are all dead in sin. So people in this dead stage, as they call it, need a Christian to share the gospel with them. That's what the outside tells us. Someone who's dead needs someone to share the gospel. Now, last week, we saw kind of an expanded view of what that stage of life might look like, right? We talked about how people who are maybe antagonistic or uninterested may need us to just live the gospel with our lives and share it that way. But people who are curious or seeking might be ready for words that explain the gospel, right? So that little tiny slice of the pie is really a a big area where people are in lots of different spaces. They need us to share the gospel, sometimes with words, sometimes with just our actions. Going back to the discipleship wheel, we see that there's an infant stage. So the infant stage of spiritual life is characterized in the middle. It says that uh, it's characterized by ignorance, which just means people don't know what they don't know. They also need followers of Jesus to share something with them. Spiritual infants need us to share our lives with them so that they can see what it looks like to live life in Christ. They need us to share the truth. They don't know God's word. They don't know what God says about living in his kingdom. They need us to share new habits. They don't know how to pray or read their Bibles or the importance of gathering on Sundays with the community of believers for support and learning together. Moving along into the child stage, we can see that it says that the child stage is characterized by selfishness, which is developmentally appropriate. Spiritual children are enjoying all the things they get out of their faith. The songs that really encourage them, the the sermons that make them feel good, the people that have welcomed them in, A spiritual child is appropriately consumed with what they are experiencing. 
but to grow in their faith, to grow roots that help them stay faithful when things get hard. They need some older siblings in Christ and their faith to connect them. They need to be connected to God first and foremost to learn how to have their own relationship with God, to hear what he says and obey him. They need to be connected into community, into a group of people who will walk alongside them and support them as they grow in their faith. They need to be connected to their purpose. They need to begin to understand that life's purpose for followers of Jesus is different than their purpose was before. Their purpose now is to tell more people about God's kingdom. Their purpose now is to live in a way that makes earth feel a little more like heaven. Right? And this goes on through the young adult and the parent spiritual phases of growth. Because to keep growing in our faith in the young adult stage, we start looking outside of ourselves. So we need to understand what our strengths and weaknesses are. We need to try out serving other people. We need to use our gifts to strengthen the church. As a spiritual parent, we need to get intentional about making disciples and teaching other people how to make disciples. In order to mature, we need to share the gospel. That's what I love about preaching. You guys, every week I learn so much. And then I get to just tell you what I learned. It's awesome. Every stage of our faith, we need help from our community to keep growing. So this is a tool that might be helpful to you as you think about how to help people in your life and maybe even how to grow in your own faith. My point, though, is that I think Matthew included the explanation of the parable to help us realize that people need help to grow into Christian maturity. We cannot expect to just say some stuff about how good God is, have them turn their lives to Jesus, and then magically grow up into mature believers. Part of our job as disciples, part of our job as followers of Jesus, is to see the obstacles that get in the way of people's spiritual growth and then get to work helping remove those obstacles. Jesus is telling us to get on our gardening gloves and get to work. So this morning, as you think about this parable and its meanings, what is God saying to you this morning? Is he pressing you about your own faith journey? Is he extending an invitation to you to take your next step toward him? Maybe you saw yourself somewhere on that discipleship wheel and you want to take your next step in your relationship with him. Are you thinking about someone else in your life this morning? Someone who has obstacles blocking their way to Jesus. Someone whose faith is maybe not very deep and is in need of some help to grow some roots down so that they can stay on in their faith journey. Maybe you're thinking about someone who is being held captive by addiction to wealth or success that needs a loving invitation to focus on God's kingdom instead of their own. Maybe as you look at that wheel, you see someone you've been walking with in their journey, and you realize that they need your help to take their next step. This morning, I want to give you some time, just like we do every week, to think about what God is saying to you about this parable. As we said, what's beautiful about these parables, what's beautiful about the word of God is that it is applicable to all of us right where we are. So I want to give you some time to just consider and listen to what God might be saying to you today. Maybe make a note so you can remember what he says this morning. Maybe if there's somebody that you think God wants you to spend some intentional time with, go ahead and pull out your phone and text them right now so you don't forget. Let's get to work. Let's not waste time. So when you've listened, when you've noted what God is saying to you, I want to invite you to come forward and receive communion.
Communion is something we do every here, every week here as a reminder of what Jesus did for us, as a commitment to join Jesus in his ministry, a commitment to care for people like he does, to sacrifice ourselves for others. It's a commitment to tell everyone we can about how good God is and how beautiful life is in his kingdom. So we receive communion as this joyous reminder of our welcome into God's kingdom and as our commitment to invite others to join us. Let's pray. God, you are so good. We confess that we have tasted just little bits of your goodness and grace. We have seen glimpses of how good life is in your kingdom. And we want more. We want more of it. We want more people to experience the goodness that is you. And so this morning, will you let our hear, our ears hear, let our eyes see, let our hearts understand what it is you're saying to us about our own journey with you, about how we're walking along someone else in their journey to you. Help us be a community that listens for what you say and then do it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.